0: from the book of Jonah. I'm reading, I've thought all week, uh, how uh, this doesn't seem to fit with where we are uh, in our congregation, but uh, the Lord has uh, laid these words on me, and we're going to talk about it anyway. While you're finding the book of Jonah in the very back of the Old Testament, the last few books, let me tell you a couple of good things. You might see some rocks like this decorated around the church. They are painted uh, and uh, maybe have some words of scripture in them. Our children have, have made these blessing rocks that they hope that you will find to know that our children are praying for the adults of our church. So, if you find a blessing rock, I hope you'll take it home with you. Bring it back next week and put it out so someone else can find it again. But our kids are engaged in connecting with all of the rest of us and and praying and connecting uh, with us. This Wednesday night will be uh, an old fashioned hymn sing night. No Bible study, but just singing. No one needs to say amen to that. I know what you're thinking, but uh, we'll not have a regular Bible study. But after we eat, uh, we will uh, spend the evening uh, singing the hymns of the church, the hymns of our faith in uh, a very valued time and hope that you will uh, be able to be with us for that. And then just one bit of good news. We have received, by my understanding, we have received the last piece of equipment of our new sound system this week. And the installers say that perhaps as early as next Sunday, in this service, they will show up and uh, prepared to start to replacing our sound system as soon as church is over. He asked me how long I was going to preach, so they'd know when to be here. So I, I I've. Uh, Not told him the whole story, but uh, uh, we're just about a week away it looks like from our sound system being replaced. We thank the Lord for that. Thank you for those that have given, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go forward, but what an exciting time it is in our church, and God is at work, and God is doing uh, tremendous things, and uh, thank you for your contribution and your help and partnership with all of that. Well, the book of Jonah, I want to read uh, just a couple of uh, verses out of the third chapter, Uh, the first few verses. uh, We'll let you remain seated, but Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Well, one of the most well-known stories in all of Scripture, uh, even with people outside the church. If you have been raised in church like I have, you probably have heard this story all of your life. What a great children's story it is. What a story that leads to a graphic telling of uh, of the story. And I remember my earliest teachers uh, telling us that Jonah was a little boy and God called him to preach and he tried to run away from God. And everybody knows you can't do that. And God uh, sent a whale to swallow him. And and the, the inference was, you better do what God tells you to because what God, when God gets finished with you, you'll wish you had anyway. And That was a scary story as a little boy. I thought, what a mean God that is who says, do what I want to or I'm going to kill you or do what I tell you to do or I'm going to make life so miserable. By the way, there is an element to all of that. But uh, the story of Jonah is so much more than that. I want to talk to you about that this way in the context of how big is our God today. I want to remind you in the context of of a God of more, that God is more than we can imagine, than we can consider, than we can understand. And God wants to do more in your life than you've ever let Him do. Hear me carefully. It does not matter if you are a brand new Christian or you are a decades old Christian. God has something more for you and I that we have not fully received in fact, the God of more wants to give us all kinds of things and help us in great ways and, and real victory and real solutions over the power of sin and real blessings and great blessings. And sometimes we get locked into, the, we get locked into our patterns and, and we're comfortable with who we are and we're, we're following God and we're doing these things and doing all the right things and that's well and good. But in the midst of all of that, I want to tell you, God wants to do more in your life than you've let Him do before up to this point. And I would ask you and challenge you to ask God what that is. I challenge you to ask God, what more do you want for me that I have not possessed and taken possession of? I, I challenge you to interact with God in that way, the God of more. And what an unusual aspect we see in the story of Jonah. Well, God did take one of his young men named Jonah and tell him to go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim one simple message. Jonah didn't have to even come up with a message. Jonah didn't have to discern the mind of Christ and figure out what to say. God told him what to say. Forty days in Nineveh, we know more. Eight words in English. As I read and understand, only four words in the Hebrew dialect. God said to Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh and say four different words to them. Because their wickedness has come up before me, and God said, I've had enough. But before I wipe these Ninevites off the face of the earth, I want to give them a chance to to, to turn from their ways, to repent and turn from their evil way and turn toward me. Jonah did not want to do that, as we know. In fact, Jonah went, uh, although he was a long way from Nineveh in his present location, Jonah would end up going down to the water's edge and buying a ship headed even further away to the city of Tarshish, 500 miles. The other direction, he was putting a long distance between him and Nineveh, trying to escape uh, the direction God had on his life. I was taught as a young boy that that Jonah was running away from God. I don't think that he was running away from God as much as he was running away from Nineveh. Because it was a bad place. Let me talk about these elements. Jonah was not a young boy, a young child as I first understood him to be. For my early teachers, Jonah was probably a young man, a young adult. He had, he had established himself already as a man of God and as a, as a priest or a prophet. He had helped prophesy that Israel as God's people would expand their territory. And, that's, and that did happen. Jonah was uh, used to being on the front line for God and taking a stand for God and communicating with God. Jonah was not a little kid. He was not a novice. He was not brand new at this. He was an established person who had delivered the very Word of God as God had given it to him. I think it's kind of interesting to note that Jonah lived about seven or 800 years before Christ. Jonah was probably a contemporary of, 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 of Elisha and King Josiah. And uh, probably Jonah was in the area around the Sea of Galilee About 800 years or so before Jesus would come. And from the very pastures and meadows and and land around him, Jesus would preach and heal and teach and call the first disciples. Jonah was not out there in no man's land. Jonah was right in the middle of things. And God said, go to Nineveh and deliver this message. Nineveh was a scary city, as we know, the capital city of Assyria. It was probably the largest city in the world in Jonah's lifetime, at least in this area. If you know your Old Testament history, you'll know that Assyria was a great, great enemy of the people of God. They were the power of the day. They were the, they, they were the force to deal with of the day. The army of Assyria did what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. And they wreaked havoc. They took, they, they killed people, they took possessions. They they simply did what they wanted to do without anyone stopping them, and they were feared people. They were known for their cruelty. Can you imagine living in a town that's known for its meanness? There are historical accounts of what these Assyrian army guys would do through the city of Nineveh. They did all kinds of terrible things to their captives. They They had a reputation of skinning people alive. They had a reputation of such brutality that they would rip the tongues out of men's mouths. They would cut off hands and heads and feet and fingers and noses and all kinds of, uh, of almost unconscionable acts. They were also noted for poking a big hole in someone's chin right here and running a large rope through it and tying them to a small cage as if they were a caged dog to, to live the rest of their days. They would impale people, run a sharp stick through them and plant that, the, other, the bottom end of that stick in the ground and let them die in the desert a slow, miserable death. And it said that outside the city gates of Nineveh were great uh, inverted uh, snow cone like structures, small at the top, big at the bo- uh, At the top, small at the bottom, big at the top. And they would put in those things the skulls of the men they had conquered. Nineveh was a bad place to be. Nineveh was the enemy of God. Nineveh Nineveh did not like God or the things of God or anybody telling him what to do. And God said to Jonah, go down to Nineveh and say four words to them. And that's it. And Jonah, we know, decided to run from God. And we know you can't run from God. And you can't run from God's message. I'm amazed at why, in some ways, at the shock that Jonah didn't want to go I would say that Jonah probably carried the societal aspect that Jonah didn't like Nineveh either. I would say that the greatest thing that Jonah could probably think had happened towards the Ninevites was that God did wipe them all off the face of the earth. I would say that Jonah was not only scared of them, he despised them and he, he, he uh, dreamed of the day when they were not a force to deal with. And doing something eternal and, and gracious for people who are not gracious is always a difficult thing to do. Listen, folks, there are times God asks you and I to do that on the job and in the neighborhood and in our extended families. Be people of grace because you have freely received grace. Be freely givers of grace. And it's tough. It's tough sometimes to keep your cool and be gracious to people you don't like, people whose, whose worth you don't quite get, and, and people you wonder why God even allows him to exist. That's the story of Jonah and Nineveh. God asked Jonah to do something, I want you to know, that was not too difficult for him to do. He could speak clearly. He had done it before. He could do it again. God did not ask Jonah to do something beyond his ability or, or do something that was too costly or too involved for him. The real story of battle for Jonah was that God asked Jonah to do something he did not want to do. He didn't understand what God was trying to do. He didn't understand the value of helping the Ninevites repent. The the real battle Jonah faced was that God asked him to do something Jonah didn't want to do. That's no different in the lives you and I live either. Folks, if we're going to connect with the God of more, if we're going to let God give us the things He has for us, whether it is victory over an addiction, whether it is is freedom from, from sinful practices and all kinds of things along, if we're going to let God do what He wants to do for us, it begins by doing what God leads us to do, even when I don't understand it, even when it makes no sense to me and when I can't possibly see what God is trying to do. But the real battle for Jonah was just that, go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim these words. Jonah got on the ship. Jonah, uh, God caused all kinds of things to happen. A storm came on the water. We know that. God caused a fish to come by. God caused Jonah to be thrown overboard or to, to get in the water. I was taught once as a child that the fish that came and swallowed Jonah was an act of punishment more than anything else. I've come to believe, though, that the fish was an, actually an act of God's grace that saved Jonah's life. He stayed in that fish three days and nights. I believe, and it can't prove this in Scripture, I believe the fish swam Jonah back to where he should have been in the first place and spit him out on dry ground, and Jonah went. And did what God said. There are interesting historical uh, discussions of what Jonah looked like when he came out of a fish after a three-day stay in the midst of of, of digestive juices, in the midst of uh, uh, in the midst of all the kind of things that took place. They say that Jonah was probably a pretty scary-looking man, and there's no better way to go into a great. Uh, uh, tough, defensive neighborhood than to look mean and, and, and bad and all kinds of things. And Jonah's skin might have been bleached by those, uh, uh, those uh, digestive juices. He, he, was a, he was a guy that caught attention. But the, he finally did go to Nineveh. Forty days and Nineveh will be no more. Why in the world would God send him to the worst city in the world to help them? Well, it had to be because God knew Nineveh was ready to hear the message. And you know the story of how the Ninevites caught attention of Jonah and they didn't kill him and they didn't seize him and they didn't do brutal things to him. They heard his message. They listened to his word. They believed God. And the king of Nineveh came down from his throne, took off his royal robes and put on mourning cloth and sat down in the middle of the dirt and threw ashes on his head and commanded everybody to do that in the city and They would spend three days fasting and praying. Oh, that God's people would somehow catch a burden and be desperate enough for God that we would fast and pray a little while. In fact, the the fast was so significant that even the animals would not receive anything. And God saw their hearts and relented from His anger and did not destroy the city. And there should have been great rejoicing. But in the mind of Jonah, there was only more anger. As Jonah got mad at God for saving and sparing these folks. You know the story, Jonah delivered the message. He went out on the highest hill outside the city on July the 3rd, waiting for the July 4th fireworks, you know. And he set up a little place, and he waited until the fire of heaven rained down so he could personally see what God was going to do to these Ninevites. And it didn't happen, and Jonah got mad. In fact, God caused a vine to grow up that uh, grew fast and provided shade. And Jonah sat under that vine and thanked the Lord for that. And then at dawn the next day, God sent a worm to, to eat through the vine and kill it. And it withered. And God sent a hard east wind. And Jonah was so scorched and parched and hot that he prayed that God would end his very life. What an amazing story it is. In fact, it doesn't really end with a great conclusion Except God said to Jonah, you you've been you, you, you worshiped this vine, you, you celebrated this vine, you didn't plant it, you didn't cultivate it, you just experienced it. How can I not be a, a, a concerned about a city of at least 120,000 that don't know their right hand or their left hand? And the question comes, did Jonah ever get what God was trying to do and say, did Jonah ever repent? Well, to my recollection, Jonah's never mentioned in the scripture again from this point on. But what are the lessons we can learn from this story? Today, just three, I want to tell you very quickly. First of all, I want to remind you that God is large and He is up to something bigger than we can comprehend. In our lives, in our homes, in our world, in our church, God has a large goal in mind. It is not to make, just to make everybody rich. It was not just to give us stuff. It, but, but it is far beyond that. It is to help us become the people He would have us to be and to spread His message of love and grace and mercy. And can you believe that God would like this town we're in right now to turn their hearts to Him and repent and live for God? Can you imagine your place of business being one in which everybody there turns their attention to God and gives their heart and soul to God? God can imagine that. Can you imagine the place, everybody on your street lives in your neighborhood to give their attention. God is up to big things, and sometimes we have such a small view of God that we think He's just trying to help us barely get through this life when God wants to do so much more. I remind you again that no matter how long you walk with God, He wants to do more in your life than you've let Him do. I've let Him do. He wants us to be people of great victory and people of great blessing and people of great grace and forgiveness and all the things that are wrapped up in Christian living in the midst of the troubles of life. Because, folks, Nineveh is everywhere for us in some context or another. How big is your God in your life and what do you think God wants us to be. I sometimes fall tendency to pray probably too small of prayers. Lord, send us a new family this month. Help us to get a new family in church. Help. I've been praying for the young adults. Help us to get two more young adult couples. I've been praying for our children that it would expand and our teens that to would expand and ones and twos and threes and fours. And God has convicted me over this to say, why stop at two? You're praying too small. It's been a great conviction for me. I want to remind you that God wanted to save the entire city of Nineveh, the worst city in the world, the meanest city in the world, the biggest city in the world, the one everybody else had given up on except Him. And God wants to do that in our lives as well. Things we've given up on and things we think are not possible. He is large, and He is still in charge. God has large goals in mind. The second lesson, I think, to see is, relates to Jonah. Jonah saw the problem God saw. The problem was the Ninevites were wicked people. Nowhere in this story do you find Jonah pleading their case. Nowhere do you find Jonah making excuses for them. Jonah doesn't say, well, Lord, they, they hadn't had the opportunities we've had over here in Israel. The Jonah doesn't remind them that they've not had church or the temple or, or the, the sacred things and the opportunities he have, he's had. Jonah doesn't make excuses for them. Jonah sees clearly the problem God saw, and that is that the Ninevites were wicked people. Jonah agreed wholeheartedly, and Jonah was ready for them to be put to death. He thought that's what they deserved. The difference was Jonah saw only the problem. He did not see a solution outside of people dying, and he did not see a solution that involved him. And when you get right down to it, you know what Jonah's problem was. Jonah's concept of God was too little. It's amazing to me to realize in this story what the real problem for God was. It was not the Ninevites. The real problem for God was Jonah. Think about it. The problem with God, biggest problem that God faced was not outside the church. It was inside the church. It was not, it was not the, the sinners out there. God could deal with those. It was the saints within inside. They were the ones that, that, were, that were holding things back in the context of Jonah. He was the one that God had Designated to be the spokesman. Jonah seems to have too small of a view of God. Jonah saw the problems. God saw the people. Jonah saw their sin. God saw the souls of sinners. Jonah saw people and it made him mad. And God saw people and it made him compassionate. God saw the same thing Jonah did, but God was so far ahead of Jonah that God saw them for what they could be and should be, and He wanted them to be. Jonah just saw what was wrong, and he didn't like. And God, help every one of us folks to have such a grasp of God that we look beyond what's wrong and beyond the problems and beyond the things we complain about and beyond the things that we get so worked up about, and we begin to see God-like solutions involved. It's amazing to me that the real problem in this story is not with the Ninevites. It's with Jonah, who is God's man for the moment. God has large goals and large intentions, and he is able. Jonah, though, only saw the problem. And then I think the reality comes for Jonah, and I c- conclude with this. Jonah lost sight. Then it's people that really count most of all, people and their souls. It's not what I like and dislike that moves God. God is not adopting the same mindset that I have toward other people. I used to think that when I was a young Christian, I used to think that if I got mad at somebody, God's going to get mad at you. And if I was upset with you, God would be upset with you. And I used to think that God adopted the same mindset I had until I realized that He is so much further beyond me that that that's, that's just such an immature way to look at it. Jonah saw problems in people, and it brought anger and fear and frustration, and all of those elements can be positive and real in the life of God's Christian people today. But God wanted so much more, and it focuses on the heart of the issue and its people and their souls. We talk about God's blessing, and I'm thankful that He does bless us, and thankful that he does give us financial blessings and thinks that he thankful that He does give us things. And we talk about blessings on a church and all those kind of things. But, but folks, at the heart of what's most important and, and the focus of what we ought to be doing ought to be people-driven and their souls. And sometimes when our God is too small and sometimes when our concept is too narrow and sometimes when we're not living in the largeness of God, we, we, we tunnel down our vision to just seeing stuff. And we fail to see people. I want to remind you that we have church today for men and women who do not know the Lord. We have Sunday school and youth programs and all of the things involved in there because of boys and girls who need God that don't know Him. We try to be relevant in our church. We try to have services that are, that are meaningful and full of life and energy and all those things. Not just because of us, because we want to attract other people who do not know God, who have been living in Nineveh. And we're trying to help them get out. And find the right way. It's people that counts most of all. And if we keep people at the center of our perspective, people of their souls and their need, we will have an ever expanding view of God because He has redeemed us in the midst of all the stuff we've lived through. We might not have skinned people alive, but we might have skinned a few people verbally. Ooh, that wasn't in my notes. <laughs> we might not have. We might not cut people off things off their bodies, but boy, we cut them down, and I could go on and on and won't do that. Folks, it's people the heart that moves the heart of God, and it's people in their souls that have to move the hearts of God's people. Story became so vivid to me when I was a small boy. I don't think I'd even started school yet. About five years old. Vacation Bible school time came. Two week vacation Bible school. Raise your hand if that excites you. Two weeks of vacation Bible school. I always enjoyed it because I got to have a knee high grape soda and those old, those old Coke machines that they'd come and filled with crushed ice. And I sure wished I had one of, those, one of those Coke boxes, but uh, uh, vacation Bible school. And it was the boys and girls in Longview, Texas who can bring the most, who can give the most, who can do the most do Not sure what we won, but at least bragging rights, but boys and girls. And one day, Mother said, we got a new family that moved two houses down from us. Let's go ask the kids if they want to go to Bible school. And we walked down to their house, and they were a little different family than ours. The parents were of grandparenting age, and the kids were smaller than me and younger than me. And the grandmother came to the door, and Mother said, Betty Williams lived two houses down. We're having Bible school, vacation Bible school. It starts tomorrow. We'd love to take your kids. Could they go? And the grandmother said, yes. And so we picked these three kids up, two boys and a girl. They had not been to school yet. They had not been to church yet. They had not been in a structured environment yet. Uh, they didn't know how to act in the midst of our Bible school. And it was a wild time. They kind of created havoc all around. And, and uh, they, they were not to... They didn't mind, and they didn't listen, and they didn't sit still, and they just kind of ran like wild people. And two weeks long is an extra long time when you got wild Indians at your, at your, at your feet. Bible school finally ended. Mother and Daddy believed, breathed a sigh of relief. And they said to the grandmother, it's, Bible school's over, but this Sunday we're having a Bible school program to show all the kids, what the kids learned: their memory work, and all their crafts, and their songs, and love for you to come We took the three kids. Grandma didn't come, but it was all over. It was probably just Tuesday or Wednesday of that next week that the middle little boy, who had to be about four years old, came to knock on our screen door. Mother opened the door, and he said, good news, Miss Williams. Our grandma says we can start going to Sunday school with you, and uh, we'll be ready this Sunday. Well, what do you do when people tell you they want to go to Sunday school? We didn't have any other choice but to pick them up. They started going to Sunday school with us every Sunday. We'd pick them up, two houses down. We'd, they, they created havoc in our church. They never sat still. They did not mind. They did not listen well. They were thrilled to be there. They wanted to come and be a part of it. But they just were not like the rest of our kids that, that had a parent that would threaten them within an inch of their life if they moved, you know. and they It was just havoc. And it went on for a couple of years. The day finally came when we were going to move and I remember my mother telling him when we let him out of the car that, that Sunday, uh, now we're, not gonna, we're moving this week, we're not going to be able to take you to Sunday school. Your grandmother knows where it is, it's just down the road, we hope that she brings you to church, but we're moving over to the north side of town, the last street on the north side of town, and we're not going to, we lived in the south, and we're not going to be able to take you to Sunday school. We kind of watched to see if they would come that Sunday, but they didn't. Or the next Sunday, or the next Sunday. It wasn't very many days in our new home, though, that the doorbell rang on our front door. I don't remember anybody ever coming in or out of our front door at that time. Mother was in the kitchen and drying her hands as she walked over to the door. I got behind her, opened the door. Here's this middle little boy. He's got a smile on his face just about from earlobe to earlobe. Mother says his name, and what are you doing way over here? And he said, good news, Miss Weeves. We moved in on the street behind you yesterday. We'll be ready for Sunday school on Sunday. And he was gone. That, was, that warranted a call to Sears to tell my dad and they sent me on a reconnaissance mission and I crawled over the fence and through the bushes of the neighbor's house behind and, see, and came back and reported, they're all there. I don't know how they've done it, but they're all over there. And Sunday morning we took the kids to Sunday school. And the next year, and the next year, and the next year, when they got to be junior high age, they got a little bit rowdier in fact, only two of them could come on Sunday at one time. One would have to stay home and clean the house and cook Sunday dinner, and they alternated that. But we had a hamburger stand across the street from the church. And uh, they would slip out of church and go over to the hamburger stand and buy store-bought hamburgers, they used to say. They didn't have any access to anything like that. That middle little kid would give Houdini a run for his money. He could get away from you. with If you tied him to you, he'd get away from you and be gone and they just created havoc and we did this year after year after year after year do you, when does it ever stop and one sunday as i started high school we went over to their house drove in the driveway daddy honked the horn nothing happened he honked it a little bit longer nothing happened he he laid on it a third time a little bit longer nothing happened he finally said to me get out and go to the door and see what's going on this sunday about that time the door opens and here comes a grandmother Got her house coat on. She's just litting a new cigarette, and she never touches it. It's just kind of dangling from her lips, and she just shuffles out to the car. She doesn't really walk. She just kind of slides her feet. And she said, Mr. Williams, the kids won't be going to Sunday school with you anymore. She said they were playing in the front yard this week, and their mother came through town. She got them in the car with her, and they're gone. I want to thank you and Miss Williams for taking them to Sunday school all these years but they will be going with you no more. And she turned and walked off. And Daddy said, that can't be, that can't be uh, uh, the end of it. She's in big trouble. Uh, she, do you know where they are? And she said, yeah, she's taking them to, to the state of Oklahoma. And Daddy said, she's crossed state lines. and mother, She's in big trouble now. And if you get an attorney, you can get those kids back. And the grandmother said to Daddy, oh, Mr. Williams, we are simple country people. When our daughter had these three kids and got into such a mess, my husband and I, agreed to take them and raise them as our own. We've never done anything legal. And we have contacted an attorney, and he tells us there's nothing we can do. They're gone. Thank you for taking them to Sunday school. Well, it was a quiet drive to church that Sunday. We kind of, nobody knew what to to happen. It was was much quieter. Sunday school was much calmer that Sunday. Church afterwards and all that was involved and it didn't take long for all that uh, uh, excitement to, uh, to be forgotten, and life went on. I was in just getting out of college when Daddy called on the phone one night, Saturday night. And he said, you won't guess. Guess what happened to me today? I said, well, I, I live 350 miles from you. I haven't seen you in all these months. I have no idea what happened today. He said, "Well, it's inventory time at Sears." And he was telling me all this stuff about inventory. They always hated it back in the days before computers, and you had to hand count stuff, and it was a big time and a stressful time. And he's telling me all about inventory, and then he gets around to the story. Mr. Jones, that works for me, came back to the stock room and said, "There's some people out here that want to see you." And Daddy said, "Tell them I'm busy." And uh, you take care of them. And Mr. Jones came back in about five minutes. And he said, well, he said, I've not been able to take care of them. They want to talk to you. And Daddy said, tell them I am busy. And you handle them. And about ten minutes later, Mr. Jones came back and said, I can't get rid of them. Daddy said, what do they look like? Are they mad? Do they have weapons in their hands <laughs> or something like that, you know? And, no, he said, but he said, they're not going to leave till you come see them. And by the time they had migrated to the paint aisle, the aisle where you sold paint, and paint was sold, and there was a young couple and uh, Daddy asked him very pointedly exactly what it was that was so busy that Mr. Jones couldn't help him. And he had to stop what he was doing and come out and see them. The girl began to speak. She said, Mr. Weems, I don't know if you remember me. She was the young girl of the two, two boys and a girl. Little did she know, we didn't just remember. We would never forget any of that. And she said, you and Miss Williams took me to Sunday school for many years and my brothers. And she told the story and she said, we were out in the yard one day and our mother came by and we got a chance to go with our mother. And she took us off to Oklahoma and we've lived with her since then. And, and you know, I had a terrible home life. Nobody in my church, went, nobody in my family went to church. Never had a Bible, never had a, really didn't live with a mother and dad in my formative years. And she said, I got married about two years ago to this man right here. And she said, we had a little baby, and I've just moved back to this town. And she said, I promised God that I would raise my child for him, not like I was raised. And she said, I don't know what you feel about the Baptist church, but but I wondered if you and Miss Williams would consider coming to the Baptist church tomorrow and standing up with me and my husband as we dedicate our daughter to the Lord to promise him that we're going to raise him in the nurture and power of God with his help. I don't have anyone to stand with me as my family. Well, if you know my dad, some of you do, you know that there's a growing puddle of water on the paint aisle. He cries a lot. I don't know if you can comprehend that, but he cries a lot and it's running down his cheeks and he assured her that there's nothing more they would rather do than come to the Baptist church tomorrow and stand up with this girl as she honors and dedicates her child unto the Lord. And daddy said something to me that Saturday night. I've never forgotten. He said in the midst of all the stuff that those kids brought we forgot it's people and their souls that really count to God most of all. And I've seen that play out a time and time and time in church. Folks, life hard and life has all kinds of twists and turns and unexpected things. And some of them are difficult and some of them are extra difficult. And people are mean and people don't, don't, don't respond accordingly and all that kind of stuff. There's, we all live in Nineveh. But there's a God of heaven who sees more for them and wants more for them and wants you and I to so engage with him that the God of more can do things beyond our understanding, our comprehension, even though saving a whole city of a bunch of, of at least 120,000 people that didn't seem to deserve the grace of God, but they did. And God wants to have those same things in our lives and in our church as well. And it starts with. How big is God for us in our lives? We move to where we are, to where He wants us to be. We accept what He has for us. Sometimes it's scary. I pray that God wouldn't have to use a fish to get my attention. I pray that God wouldn't send me through the fire sometimes to get my attention. But sometimes it seems to take to because because I I don't get it. But the great God of more... Wants to evidence himself in our church, in our lives, in our homes, in your place of business. To reach the unreachable. To touch those who so desperately need it. That's why we are existence. It's people and their souls who count most of all. And praise God for his great grace that reaches even us. In the midst of all the stuff of life, we have a God who cares. A God who sees. A God who's able to help. And it ought to enlist a great praise, God, from our hearts and from our minds as we remember what God has done for us and what he wants to do for others. Would you, I challenge you this week, would you ask God what more he has for you that you've let him do in your life? And would we receive the word of God? And as we say at the end of scripture reading, this, my friends, is the word of God. And thanks be to God for including this story in it and his involvement and we can have a part in the involvement of God's great plan and everybody said amen Amen. let's stand this morning and we'll pray and Derek will lead us in a song our father we thank you this day for the chance to be in church and while it's been a wild week in some ways may we focus on what we know to be true You are sovereign, Lord. You are God, and we are not. You have a plan for all of us. You have a plan for our church. And Lord, you just sometimes ask me to do simple things, even if it's repeat, a four-word message. Help me to be faithful this week as you lead me. And we just pray your blessings upon our lives, and we ask that the God of more would do more for us, and we'll have a mindset that will let you work. We praise you for your great goodness to us and all that you do for us. In your name we pray and say amen and amen.